Hi, thanks for joining us for this message from Red Church in Melbourne, Australia. We pray that you're blessed by it. If you'd like to know more about Red Church or its ministries, or if you'd like to support us financially, you can find out more by heading to connect.redchurch.org.au. Fantastic to be with you today as we continue our series, David Shepherd King, looking at the life of David and its lessons for us. There are two ways that we can look at our lives. We can look at our lives through the prism of the present. And this has very much been our reality. Uh, I'm recording this on Thursday here in Melbourne uh, and our lockdown lifts tonight as we've hit 70% uh, double jabbed by over 16s. And so many of you will be watching this as lockdown has lifted as we move towards the 80% rate. And during this quite unique situation that uh, Melbourne has been in, being the longest lockdown city in the world, talking to lots of people, um, people have this reflection that our lives have almost been lived in this present. Every day has seemed the same. It's been absent of those markers. And you just seem like you're continually in this present, unable to think forward. And sometimes we can actually gain perspective. When we are in the present, we can sometimes see what God's presence is doing that we miss out on when our gaze is always looking at what's the next big thing coming up. But another way to look at our lives is through a broader perspective, to take a step back. On the weekend, uh, my daughter Grace and I went for our walk in our area, uh, as we have been doing for the last little while. We thought we'd go somewhere different, and we end up walking through the cemetery. And it's really interesting to visit cemeteries. Cemeteries tell a story. Uh, someone once said to me that if you're ever going to make a big decision in life, it's good to walk through a cemetery. It puts it in perspective. And walking through the cemetery, it told a bigger story of people's lives, this life, some long, some shorter. The story also was told of our area, of the different waves of migration that have come through, the graves that are not there, which predate European settlement. And what I want to do today is I want to look at the life of David with that bigger perspective. And I want to use a prism of looking at the life of David that is from a book by Artie Kendall called The Anointing, where he contrasts the life of three different individuals we encounter in the life of David. There, of course, is King David, there is King Saul, and the prophet Samuel. And he uses these phrases to explain a principle of how God works in our lives. He talks about yesterday's man or yesterday's person, which is represented by King Saul. King Saul is made king after the people ask for a king to be like the other nations. Saul starts off well. He is filled with the spirit, but very quickly the mantle moves from him because of his disobedience. And he becomes yesterday's man. Isaac Kendall then points out there's another figure. This is the prophet Samuel, who we encounter at the beginning of the book of Samuel. Samuel is a prophet who hears from God after a long period where people rarely heard visions in that day. And him hearing God is the symbol of God's renewal beginning again. Isaac Kendall says he acts as today's man. And then there's tomorrow's man, represented by King David. A lot of the story, he's not on the throne. He does not have the crown, but he has this mantle that God has given to him. So in a sense, he's preparing for tomorrow when God's going to use him. 
Now to understand how this all works, we need to understand the concept of an anointing. In 1 Samuel 10, verse 11, it says this, Then Samuel took a flask of olive oil and poured it on Saul's head and kissed him, saying, Has not the Lord anointed you ruler over his inheritance? And when someone would become a king or a queen in this period, there was this symbolism of that person being anointed with the olive oil. This was a sign that a mantle had been passed to that person, that they had this royal power. We see this today in coronations of kings and queens, or perhaps when a president or a prime minister is given a seat of authority. There is a traditional ceremony. The symbols might be different. It might be filled with scepters and giant parades, or it could be simply a signing. But there's always some symbolic recognition that person has taken on a potential of a power that they didn't have before. In 1 Samuel 10, verses 9 to 10, it says this, As Saul turned to leave Samuel, God changed Saul's heart. And all these signs were fulfilled that day. When he and his servant arrived at Gibeah, a procession of prophets met him. The Spirit of God came powerfully upon him, and he joined in their prophesying. So the anointing is the recognition of taking on a royal mantle, But also we see here that in scripture, anointing also means taking on the mantle of the Holy Spirit given to us to bless and serve others. It's an empowering to be the people of God who God called us to be. God wishes to anoint you. God has given you a role and a task. And he wishes to anoint you with his spirit so you may be empowered to do that task. Now, the lives of these three men show us how God anoints his people. They all offer us really important lessons and perspectives. So I want to work through their lives and see the lessons that we can learn from them. I want to begin with perhaps the most tragic. Yesterday's man, yesterday's person, Saul. Saul as I said, was called to be king. In a sense, this was a reaction to this desire in the people to be led, not in the way that God was wanting to lead them through his word and his way, but they looked left and right, looked to the nations and said, the other nations seem more powerful than us. They have these powerful rulers. They have these kings. So we want to be like them and we want a king. So already there was this crack of mistrust. And this happens to the people of God. But people of God, often in moments of fear, will look to political power instead of looking to God. And so Saul is chosen. Saul is visually handsome and striking. He looks like a leader. And the people are excited about finally having their own king to be like the other nations. Now, what's interesting with Saul is that Saul begins to become yesterday's man and loses the anointing that he has on his life when his ambition moves beyond his anointing. Now, it's really interesting if you think about the coronation of a king or a queen. When Queen Elizabeth, who is now kind of approaching 100, she has been around for a lot of people's lives. When she was coronated in the 1950s, She was actually given this rule and realm over specific places. 
She is the monarch of the United Kingdom, but also of Australia, of Canada, of places like Fiji. She was not the monarch of Russia. She was not the monarch of the United States. She was not the monarch of Vietnam. There was limits to where actually her responsibility lay. It's the same with us. God anoints us for specific roles and there's a specific sphere of influence. Paul writes in uh, 2 Corinthians verse 10, uh, chapter 10, verse 13. We, however, will not boast beyond our proper limits, but will continue to confine our boasting to the sphere of service God himself has assigned us. In 1 Samuel 13, we find Saul going beyond his remit. He's called to be a king, but he tries to act like a priest, tries to do the job of Samuel. We can do this too. We can try to be people that God has not called us to be. We can try and do things that God has not called us to be. Very much the message of contemporary culture is that you can be anything you want to be. You can be amazing. You can be limitless, but actually humans are finite. We follow a infinite God who is all powerful, who does empower us, but he empowers us for a specific task and we exist as part of a body. And so burnout is often a sign that we are stepping beyond our anointing. Our ambition has gone beyond what we're called to do. And I think this is really relevant at this moment because Coming back out of a long lockdown where many of us have been through a process of examining the kind of lives that we lived, many of which were really busy. Australians were doing stacks of stuff. And one of the pastoral issues that we often dealt with uh, before the pandemic was people who would just run ragged. And so as life begins to re-emerge in Australia, and in particular in our city here in Melbourne after a long lockdown, I think that call To not let our ambition go beyond our anointing is really key. Now, the second thing that we saw with Saul, Saul becomes yesterday's man because he has this giftedness. He looks like a leader. He has the abilities in the physical world, in the natural world to lead. He's given this anointing. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. Yet his character development does not match the growth of his giftedness. You see jealousy creep in. You see him being disobedient, stepping beyond that which he is called to do. You see him taking action where he's not inquiring of the Lord. Insecurity creeps in. One of the most dangerous kinds of leaders is a leader who is really gifted, charismatic, has a sense of personal power, but their character has not matched those abilities. And we see that gap becoming more and more wide in the life of Saul, tragically making him yesterday's man. Now, Saul has this moment, we read of it there, where he encounters this company of prophets and he is filled with the Holy Spirit. This happens a few times to Saul. Yet in many ways, we then see Saul relying on yesterday's move of the Holy Spirit. Now, we can become yesterday's man or woman when we are living in the past in a move of God that God did in the past. Are moves of God in the past worth something? Absolutely. Scriptures have this great tradition of memorizing the past. 
In the Old Testament, we see the people of God creating these altars to remember how God intervened for his people in the past. Many of us have fond memories of when God moved and they're really important. But there's a danger that we rely on just the past. And there are many Christians, there are many even movements where the glory days are in the past, while our intimacy in the day right now is diminishing with Jesus. Relying on yesterday's move and neglecting today's intimacy with Jesus and what God wants to do next is a surefire way of becoming yesterday's man or woman. On to Samuel. Samuel we encounter as a youth uh, at the beginning of the book of Samuel. He is given over to service to God and he hears God. God begins to speak after a long period of absence. The religious establishment is corrupt in this day. There's huge problems amongst the people of God. Yet God begins to speak to and call out this young boy, Samuel. Now, what's really interesting is part of the reason that God calls Samuel and begins to speak to him is he wants to bring his renewal. Now, the role for Samuel, Samuel is not going to be called to be king. Samuel is actually going to play a really vital part in the people of God to be this prophet who again hears God and they can help the people inquire of God. And one of the key roles that he plays is that he's going to anoint David, the great king, who begins this renewal in Israel. And we learn something about what it is to be today's man or today's woman for God. Samuel says no to self and yes to God's bigger plan. He has the courage to realize that it's not just about me, but he. Now, so much of our formation growing up from school, our culture, even sometimes the church is you are told that whatever job you have, whatever relationships you have, that the goal here is that you're going to reach this point of self-actualization where you come into some kind of peace with yourself. But what happens then is the movie then comes about you. You become the chief protagonist in the great novel of your life. When you do that, you're heading into yesterday's man, yesterday's woman territory. That's how Saul thought. It was all about him. Samuel is used by God in the present, in this day, because he says no to self and yes to God's bigger plan. And to do this, he's not looking at his part as the chief main actor in the great play of his life. He's instead looking out for tomorrow's person. He's ready to champion them. Samuel's role is to launch David. And so today's person is ready to work their heart out for God and is actually happy for someone else to take the credit. Think of something that you may wish to happen in this world. How ready would you be if God said, yeah, that dream you have for the world, I'm going to make that happen. But the price is that no one's going to know that you had anything to do with it. Would you be willing to say yes to God? Now, Samuel is able to act like this because Samuel in his young life develops what Terry Bowling calls voice recognition. 
There's that beautiful passage where he's with the priest Eli and he hears at night God speaking. He goes into Eli, he's like, is that you? And then Eli begins to realize that actually God's speaking again. From youth, he recognized to hear God's voice. He had to first hear before he could then begin to teach others to inquire of the Lord. And he passes on that ability to have voice recognition. And that's what we see in the life of David, in the Psalms. This man who has voice recognition as God speaks to him in his heart. This means when you have voice recognition for God, that instantly puts you in a different uh, place to the standards of the day. The standards of the day, as Samuel is coming up, is actually of a corrupt priesthood. Eli, the priest, has sons who are doing everything wrong. These guys are running pretty much an unholy, sinful, criminal organization at the heart of the religious establishment at this time. It would have been so easy, and this happens very quickly in corrupt cultures where other people might be super corrupt, so you just say yes to a little sin over here, and before you know it, you're corrupt too. Samuel, as today's man, does not set his standards by the standards of the day, but sets it by God's voice. He stays true. And we see this throughout his life. When the people are sinning, Samuel stays true. When Saul, his king, who he had anointed, who he saw the Holy Spirit come upon, but then as Saul loses that mantle, Samuel still stays true. And this means today's person being used by God also has to be willing to pay the price of loneliness at times. When all of your friends are saying one thing and God's saying something else. Sometimes when even all of your Christian friends are compromising in an area and God's voice is saying something else. And at this moment, There are many voices coming in. We're living increasingly in a moment of political polarization. We're seeing that particularly coming here in Australia in the last few months. And this is something that God has had me speaking into for years. We hear voices from the left. We hear voices from the right. Often people who are worried about what's happening on the left will find themselves drifting further and further into the myths and ideology and idols of the right. Those who are worried what's happening on the right will sometimes find themselves drifting further into the idols, the ideology, idolatry of the left. This is going to become an increasing challenge in our day. This is going to be a challenge as we come back. But God is speaking. He's calling a people to himself. God is asking for today's men and women with voice recognition who will not set their standards by the political agendas that shout loudly to us from social media and even in the voice of friends. This is a moment to hear what the voice of God is saying, to not react in fear, but actually to react in faith. Last but definitely not least, David, tomorrow's person. David 
for so much of the story. And I really do encourage you to begin, if you haven't started already, reading through First and Second Samuel. Read the Psalms. You just have to look at the top of Psalms where it says a Psalm of David. That should be in your Bible. David's an incredible person. A man who is so human, so vulnerable, sometimes so fragile and does things poorly at times, but is a man after God's heart. And for so much of David's story, he knows that he is anointed for the throne, that the crown is his, but he has to spend this inordinate amount of time with someone else on the throne doing it wrong. This shows us something really key. Tomorrow's person has patience. Tomorrow's person has patience. They do not rush ahead of God. So many problems that the people of God get into. I look at my own life. Problems that I've gotten into is when I'm trying to do the right thing, what I think is even the God thing, but I'm rushing ahead and I haven't inquired of the Lord. And if you're reading through First and Second Samuel at the moment, you'll see there's this constant theme of when David inquires of the Lord and when he doesn't inquire of the Lord. It's this ongoing theme. When he inquires of the Lord, things go well. When he doesn't, it goes bad. When he as a leader inquires of the Lord, the people learn to inquire of the Lord. And inquiring of the Lord requires patience that, yes, you may get an answer, but it may not be on your timetable. And so he has patience. David has the anointing while Saul still has the crown and the throne and the platform. And God actually uses this hiddenness, this need for patience, the frustration. There's probably points where David is looking at what Saul's doing, going, oh my goodness, God, just give me that throne. Look what this bloke is doing. He's messing it all up. God doesn't. God allows Saul to stay on the throne and David in the wilderness, often running from his life. The man he served, singing songs to him, being a comfort to him in the palace, then hunts David down and is trying to kill him. The whole time, David must have patience. Why must he have patience? To accept the work of preparation. We see, and we talked about this last week, so I'm not going to go over it too much. But we see the role of the hidden places and the wilderness in David's life. The audience of one. And if you didn't watch last week or listen, I really encourage you to go back. But what makes David tomorrow's man? Is that ultimately, as the scriptures tell us, he has a heart after God. David looks back and reflects on in the Psalms, the way that God has saved him again and again. But what we see in the Psalms, this insight into his private life, is this dynamic, continual intimacy with God. He's not resting on the last thing that God did. He's pursuing God, and he wants to see the next move. In 1 Samuel 13, verse 14, it says this, But now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him ruler of his people because you've not kept the Lord's command. The anointing moves from Saul to David tomorrow's man because he has a heart after God. It's not the best looking. It's not the most gifted. It's the people who have a heart after God that are tomorrow's men and women. 
And in many ways, this is where we're at at this point in time. We can look back to the world of 2090, to what God was doing back then. Some of us are even going to look back. I know there's varying different experiences of lockdown here in Melbourne. Some people are just absolutely over it and cannot wait. And probably you booked a seat at a restaurant already or a haircut. Others have actually found places of solace. The Holy Spirit has spoken in moments of quietness and have actually enjoyed elements of this past period. And that's understandable because it was a different way of living. I think about at night, it's been like with a curfew, one of the weird things about curfew is like sleeping in the country. It's like silent at night. And whether we have the temptation to look back to the 2019 world, to even look back over the last two years at certain elements which perhaps were positive that God used. We now go forward. Tomorrow is ahead of us. And as we re-emerge as a church into this new reality, with all the things that we're going to navigate, I believe God is calling us to be tomorrow's men and women with hearts after God, understanding the patience and preparation that he's been building us, but also hungry for the next move of God and the next thing that he wants to do. We are desperately going to need in the next season People with voice recognition, people who understand how God works in our lives with all that is to come. But we don't need to be afraid. God is implanting faith in us. And I believe that good days are ahead and God is going to do great things amongst us, amongst tomorrow's men and women. So let's be those people. Let me pray. God. We don't want to be yesterday's men and women. We don't want to go beyond what you've called us. We don't want our ambition to go beyond our anointing. We don't want our character to always be catching up to our giftedness. We don't want to have a standard set by the world. Father, we want to have hearts after you. I thank you for all the preparation that's been happening, for the patience that we've learnt. But Father, we want to set our eyes forward. We hunger for a move of you in our lives, in our world. We hunger to see people come to know you. We see increasingly the idols of the world in every form falling down. And we know the only answer is you, Jesus. So I pray for an impartation of courage. Give us the courage to be tomorrow's men and women. I want to pray in Jesus' name against lies and mistruths, against the spirit of division. And Father, help us to be servants who give our lives for the world, who give our lives for our brothers and sisters and neighbours. You gave the your life on the cross for the world. We can't do that as you did, but we can live how you lived, serve others. So bless us, Father, particularly over the next few weeks as we emerge again into a new, different reality. Help us to keep our eyes on you. We ask him, help us to be men and women after your heart. In your name, Jesus. Amen.